All right. Good evening. Good evening, everyone. My name is Curtis Spivey, and I am the host of Good Morning Aurora. I'm proud to moderate this discussion live on Facebook and with our colleagues of Kane County and others. Thank you for tuning in. Our guests this evening are Jamie Mosser, Kane County State's Attorney, Ron Hain, Kane County Sheriff, Nathan Lanthrum, Clinical Director of Lighthouse Recovery, and Maribel Duran-Mendez, Coordinator of Abuse Intervention Programs uh, for the Community Crisis Center. Mm -hmm. All right, the title of this evening's discussion is From Victim to Offender, Interrupting the Cycle. It is also Domestic Violence Awareness Month. DVAM, Domestic Violence Awareness Month, was launched nationwide in October of 1987. The purpose was to connect and unite individuals and organizations working on domestic violence issues while also raising awareness. In our discussion, we will talk about the link between victims of DV and their likelihood of offense. Good evening, everybody. Good evening, Chris. How y'all doing? Good. Good. Okay. Thanks for having us. All right. Good to see you guys again. Um, so we will uh, start off with those um, basic introductions. I introduced yourselves, but please, for the benefit of the viewers who can now see us, let's start. Um, let's start with you. Oh, yep. My name is Maribel Duran Mendez. I am the Abuse Intervention Program Coordinator, I'm the licensed clinician at the Community Crisis Center. Community Crisis Center, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm Jamie Mosser. I am your elected King County State's Attorney. I'm Sheriff Ron Hain, uh, my 28th year in law enforcement uh, coming to a close, and my fourth year as your sheriff. All right. And my name is Nate Lanthro. I'm the clinical director of Lighthouse Recovery. Um, we're an outpatient substance abuse treatment program in St. Charles, but we run all the addictions treatment programming in the King County Jail. Okay, wonderful, wonderful. You work in the jail? Correct. Okay. Um, so the first question will be for State's Attorney Mosser. <clears throat> Um, what is your office noted in relation to this trend victim to offender in the cases that you worked on? So great question. Um, one of the things that I talk to people about a lot is when I first came to the state's attorney's office as an assistant state's attorney, I was in the domestic violence. What year was that? Let's date you a little bit. Uh, I'm not in my 28th year of anything, we'll say that. Um, <laughs> um, with that being said, I, I remember I had a particularly uh, difficult case because there was a husband who battered his wife, and their young son watched it, and I had to call the son, who is about 12, 13 years old, as a witness. I worked with that child a lot to make sure that he was as comfortable as, comfortable as possible testifying. We put him on the stand, the dad was found guilty, we got services for the dad, and then I didn't hear back from the family until I became the head of the domestic violence unit and I now prosecuted that boy for beating up his girlfriend. Now I remember this kid because he was so sweet and he knew what his dad did was wrong and all he wanted to do was protect his mother. And that affected me so much because it really gave me a perspective that I hadn't seen in that way which was that this is a learned behavior. This is something that they're taught, and it's taught by the parents that, they, that love them, mm -hmm. and that a person who is an abuser isn't a monster all the time. They're still a dad or a mom or a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and if I didn't look at the people who came before me a different way, I wasn't doing my job. So when I see a domestic abuser come before me, my first question always is what made him, the why? Why is that person in this court system before me? 
And with that, what have you learned specifically for the victims, those suffering from DV? So the victims oftentimes are still in that situation. Okay. So, and I want you to think about it this way. There are statistics everywhere, and I'm going to name some of those statistics. One in 10 men will suffer from some sort of physical or sexual violence. One in four women will suffer from some sort of physical or sexual violence. So this is happening in our community, whether or not people want to believe it or not. If you grow up in a domestic violence household, you are 10 times more likely to become an offender if you are a boy, and you are six times more likely to become a victim if you are a girl. This is a cycle and something that we need to break. Now the problem is when we look at a lot of this stuff, we always focus on let's get some sort of counseling for this person, maybe let's get some sort of counseling here, but not, we're not looking at the overall picture. How can we break that cycle? Because I may give counseling to dad, but it doesn't mean the children have learned how not to make themselves an abuser or to grow up into that or girls more likely to become victims. And it goes the other way. Boys become victims as well. Girls become abusers. We need to stop this cycle. Okay. And uh, lastly, how does the uh, state attorney's office view people accused? Mm -hmm. And just to plant the flag with that specific word, accused, how do you view people accused of domestic violence? So the way that we view them is that they are a person who has come in here charged with a crime. There's a reason behind that. So when we look at somebody, we always look at intervention first. How can we prevent them from coming back? But also, how can I protect the victim further? We know that a lot of victims will stay with abusers, and there's a lot of judgment behind that that I would love to dispel. This is a loved one. This is a person that they know. What can I do to make sure the victim is safe throughout all of this? What can I do to stop the cycle? That's how we view an abuser who comes before us. Uh, turning down to Sheriff Hain. Hello, sir. How are you? All right. Uh, how does the, uh, excuse me, the uh, Sheriff's Office address offenders uh, in DB cases? And also, what role, if any, does the uh, Sheriff's Office play in regards to the victims of domestic violence? Certainly, so I mean, I wear two different hats as Sheriff, and it's uh, the, the head law enforcement official, and then also the uh, custodian of the Kane County Jail which is designed by statute. So, of course, uh, we have zero tolerance when it comes to domestic battery. We follow the statute very closely. We have highly trained law enforcement officers that do affect arrest. Domestic violence calls are probably our number one or number two uh, most consistent calls that we receive on a daily basis. But when that person comes into my custody, that is my opportunity at the uh, jail right next door to where we're sitting right now to actually try and impact them and reform them and give them a chance to re-enter as a better parent, as a better individual. And we have to remember that you know 90% of everybody in my custody struggles with some sort of addiction issue. And so we see that addiction is what is creating that violence, what is creating that uh, mental health issue that's causing the domestic violence. So um, when we plug in the or myriad of exacerbating, exacerbating, sure. Um, so when we plug in, and of course we have to go back to trauma, which I'm mm-hmm. sure we're going to hit on here. Uh, when we plug in all the programming that we have, that is our core focus out of the Kane County Jail: is that these folks uh, are, are going to come back home and they're going to be better people. And every jail should be exercising those abilities to to reenter folks uh, as a better human being. Um, and let's talk about percentages and sub numbers. Uh, what percentage of the residents are currently housed um, on the victim side 
and the offender side? Or are you able to ascertain that when you... Man, I, I really want Nate to hit on who's a victim and who's an offender because okay, he does that better. Um, but uh, we always like to say, and sorry, I'm going to steal it from you at, at the very top. <laughs> so everybody in our jail has, has allegedly or has done something heinous and they're, uh, they're offenders. But every single one of them, as we've learned, is a victim at some point in their life. And so what I mean by that is that they've suffered some sort of trauma as a child. And as I get to know our jail population over the last four years, and I'm very deeply involved on a personal level and, and um, you know, face-to-face -face with those in our population, you hear it all throughout the jail that people started carrying guns and selling drugs and using drugs between the ages of 10 and 13. And you hear what Nate brings out in the group sessions of uh, a grown man weeping openly uh, in this comfortable environment because he finally realized that his trauma, his addiction, his reoffending over time is because he watched his dad kill his mother or he watched his mother commit suicide at four years old. Um, this resonates throughout our jail population. Uh, great segue uh, for Nathan, and then we will come to uh, to Maribel. So Nathan, uh, tell us about um, the Lighthouse Recovery. What is it and its role in working with uh, with the sheriff? He kind of he kind of spitballed it for us. <laughs> we actually stole the only thing I was going to say. So that's <laughs> no problem. I just don't know what else to talk about. <laughs> so Lighthouse Recovery uh, started as a community provider. So we're an outpatient substance abuse treatment program in St. Charles. Um, and four years ago, when the sheriff was elected, he brought us in to um, develop programming inside the jail. And we started off with just a pilot program, but then what we ended up doing was um, creating an entire pod or a cell block that's dedicated for individuals struggling with substance use disorder or individuals that have substance use backgrounds or things like that. And part of the reason that I'm here tonight talking with this domestic violence panel is Substance abuse is largely seen as the problem by almost everybody. People think that if you just stop using drugs, then problems go away. Right. But what we found over not only years of doing this in anecdotal evidence and people that we see, but the decades of research is that substance abuse is the solution to the problem. So people come into the jail and can identify as somebody saying, I have a heroin issue or I have an issue with alcohol or other, any other drug. And more often than not, quick, quickly through our programming, we can get to what's causing that. And so it's not the problem itself. So we're trying to get rid of the idea that that's the only thing we need to work on. And so we pretty quickly clear that out. And we don't talk about drugs all that often in our programming. We talk about upbringing. We talk about behaviors and patterns and habits. And like the sheriff and Ms. Mosser both said, we talk about trauma. And trauma, and I'm sure we'll talk more about this, is not like the capital T big trauma always, like somebody witnessing violence. It's chronic conditions. It's not only things that have happened to you, but it's what didn't happen to you. Did you not have love? Did you not have security or attachment and those kinds of things? And those things can be directly linked to people in domestic violence households. Not all the time, not 100% of the time, but we see a large, I'd say a majority of the people on our units that grew up with something like this in their homes. Why is this important to you? At large, why is this important to me? Um, I think that this is a, a criminally underserved population. Um, in the justice system. I think that it's, it's misunderstood. I think it's misunderstood from the very top down and you can't arrest your way out of someone having drug issues. Um, so law enforcement, uh, for all that they do and for all that they try to do, this is not a supply side issue. This is a demand side issue. People demand and need substances. 
Um, and so if we just try to um, arrest them, if we just try to jail them or incarcerate them or warehouse them, they come back out to the same environment that created them. So it's important to me because I have a seven-year-old son and he grows up in the community that I work in. And I have people, and I grew up in this community, I went to high schools here and I love people here and, you know, and, I, and I love and believe the people that I work with here. So it's important to me for a variety of reasons. All right. Maribel, hello there. Hello. How you doing? I'm okay. <laughs> Turn the camera right to you. Alrighty. Um, so tell us about the, uh, the CCC and your role in it, please. Well, the Community Crisis Center sir, is a domestic violence shelter for women who are in DV danger or going through any domestic violence, but also we serve the women that are homeless. And, and we serve a lot of economics crisis over there. My program is when they have been, for men or women who have been charged with domestic violence, they come to my program. So I'm the abuse intervention. Okay. Um, what has your time and your work in this field revealed to you about DV for victims and for um, uh, offenders? It's multifaceted. It's not black and white. Okay. Um, many individuals see domestic violence as the only time when police intervene when is when there is a physical attack. Right. But when they come into our program, as we start working with them individually or in group, we see a lot that there's a lot of stuff has been going on in that household. There's been a lot of emotional abuse that sometimes police cannot intervene because they need something that they can do and sometimes it's economic and we just see all that kind of stuff so as they slowly start to participate in the group there is substance abuse and sometimes we tell them when there is no substance abuse when you are sober what starts to happen in that relationship are you still using that power and control in different ways now before you used to say it was my, the, your substance now are you still using the same tactics? So we talk about that and it just explores a lot. There has been a lot of generational trauma within being in the home, but also from past trauma that um, from other families, the outside, the community and everything, how they see um, DV. So it's, it's a lot of combinations of working with everybody. But we just don't just do just partner abuse in our program. We do caring dads and nurturing moms because if the kid is being hurt by the, I would like to say, the guardians, the caregivers of, the, of them, and they're being taught that trust and respect is by fear, by punishment, then this is normalized. So we start working even with parents that are, have abused or neglected their children too. So we start working with them right then with DCFS all coordinated. So it's all, in, it's all related. And it's just having just to have that conversation with them helps. The time is 6 16 p.m. and we are here with our friends of Kane County government and others lighthouse recovery and the ccc to talk about um domestic violence during domestic violence awareness month uh so here's a question for all of you guys bless you thank you and i'd like you guys to chime in on this please um so the the focus on domestic violence addressing um its root causes understanding trauma when we're talking to people whether at Lighthouse or in custody, um, how are they talking to us? Are you are you guys pulling teeth 
to get the stories and experiences from folks in some cases, or have you found that they are willing to talk and speak to you? Yeah. Anybody can take Rebel, that. do you want to take that as far as like the outside interaction? And then the we'll assessment, take it from when they first come, they have to do an assessment. And at times it varies. They could be very forthcoming. Sometimes it's like very simple. It could be like 10 minutes, they'll tell you the whole story. Other times they go very much into detail. So it just depends because they have told the story when they were arrested. They told the story when if they're being talked to the state's attorney and everything. So they're like, I'm tired. So just they already come with the, how do I put it? They're already defensive when they come into us already. Sure. And they're like, oh, they were like, do I have to tell this story? Don't you have the records? I'm like, no, this is all self-report. I just need to know from your point what happened. Right. And for victims is very difficult because they've been through so much they're kind of scared of what to say and sometimes when during the assessment when we give them a, a specific sheet that is the history indicator sheet of what has happened throughout their whole relationship then you start to see a little bit more what was really going on so we can identify this is a victim yes if you were arrested for this but you are a true victim then we took then we we're going to send you to the correct services that you need. Okay. So that's what happens. But it's some, it just depends on the individual. Okay. So that's really the public interaction, and then I'm going to kind of hit on the custodial interaction. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, at the sheriff's office, the guards go up right away, especially mm -hmm. with somebody in custody. So that's why you know, it was super important to us. We're the only jail in the country that we found that does true EMDR trauma therapy. What is EMDR? So it's uh, it's basically, and Nate can describe it better than I can, but it's a it's a an eye movement therapy that moves the trauma from the frontal lobe ba basically back to better processing lobes of the brain to allow people to process what the core issue of their trauma is. And, and please don't make fun of me, Nate, or Jamie, <laughs> I um, no on my description there. <laughs> um, but what it, what it has done is allowed us to peel back the layers of what a person has gone through in their adult life to figure out the, the core root cause of their trauma. And then, of course, Nate and his staff can treat it from there. Uh, when it comes to the initial uh, trauma of domestic battery or domestic violence incident, uh, that's why we started our special victims team about two and a half years ago. So we brought in two full-time social workers. We now have two therapy dogs. One works with our social workers. One works in the Child Advocacy Center for Victims of Child Sex Crimes. And it's, a, it's really a holistic approach because, to Maribel's point, you don't know what vein people are coming in on. Is it those that are out in the public that are quickly referred to Community Crisis Center? It is, is it those that are coming into your custody as an offender or even coming into your custody as a victim at some point in their life? And what is actually going to finally crack them open so we can truly treat them and re-enter them? All right. I like that. I like that. Nate, look, he has something to say uh, through the state uh, sheriff's. No, well, well, just kind of quickly before the EMDR trauma therapy is amazing, and we're doing incredible work with that. Um, and we've also got you know counseling groups and, and these things. And what the sheriff has allowed us to do in the facility is create an environment of safety, mm -hmm. which is strange in a jail. To you, I guess you wouldn't really think about that as a as a safe place. It's a secure place, but for somebody to be dealing with something uh, from their past and able to talk about it and process, you have to have safety. And so on the recovery pod, what we've done is we've actually created an environment where um, they are rewarded first before punished. 
And so there's also the therapeutic element of that where they can talk to us without fear of punishment. They can talk to us in a therapeutic relationship without fear of anything happening to them in court as a result of that. So while we're in that custody setting, the custodial setting, we can establish a therapeutic relationship with them so it allows them to talk and allows them to kind of process some of these things. We could have the best therapy, sorry, best therapy in the world in there, but if they didn't have the environment that the sheriffs allowed us to create, it wouldn't allow them to escape that fight or flight state that you'll find in almost every jail and prison setting where they're always on guard and they don't have to be like that with us in the, in the specific pot that we work on. And the importance of that is, and I do want to point out, like a lot of people will think, hey, lock them up if they're a domestic batterer, throw away the key, but throw away the key is not a thing, okay? 95% of all people taken into custody return to their community within five years, return to their family, return to their victims even within five years, even, even less than that when it comes to domestic battery. So that's why we create a reward environment because we are trying to get them to open themselves up so we can have that treatment occur, whether they're inside or whether they're outside. And then that continuum of care. So uh, in coaching 14 other jails in Illinois, 20 jails in California, uh, just on the results we've gotten out of Little Old Kane County, we are seeing the biggest failures in corrections is that there is no continuum continuum of care. So okay. they don't see the same people they see inside the jail as they see outside the jail. So they see recidivism and that, that lack of success rate where we are really proud to tout uh, the fact that they continue on with their treatment and lighthouse recovery even when they're outside and that helps us reduce domestic violence. Gotcha. And I want to relate this back to domestic violence because again I just did. <laughs> That's <laughs> <hard. clears throat> often more often than people even know the victim and the defendant are still together afterwards yep. because again it's a family to them yep. and we have to recognize that and the better we do from the front end in not only giving treatment to the offender but also providing counseling to the victim the safer it is for all of them involved because the reality is the victim is likely to be back with the offender right and if we don't take that into consideration and we just say you are a domestic abuser you are the worst person in the world we're just going to give you 364 days in jail or however much time in prison we are making it worse for our victims you know, I'm hearing words like consideration and empathy, and I'm hearing things about learning and questions and trauma and healing. Does this mean that you're letting DV abusers walk free? Absolutely not. Quite the opposite. Yeah, we are wrapping the most intensive care around them that they've ever received. And so I'll hear feedback from the community that, oh, this sheriff is more like a social worker. He's soft <laughs> on crime. Um, I would argue, based on data and statistics, that this is the hardest on crime we've ever been. We're just soft on people uh, because we're finally giving them services that they've never had out of a correctional environment. I think what they're learning, oh, no, you go, Mary. No, I think what they're learning is accountability that maybe they didn't learn when they were younger. Mm -hmm. They're learning in different ways, being in Lighthouse, being here in the King County Court and everything, in the jail. They're just learning different things that maybe it wasn't available to them. Even when they are in group or individual, like you said, that being safe just to talk about it is something they never had, mm -hmm. male or female. They never had that mm -hmm. safe to just even talk because if the moment they did talk, they didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah. So 
that safety and that trust was is very important for victim and for the abu um, for abuser to be able to talk about those things because they there's some things that they haven't told and that's the most mo most important having that safety right there to talk it also seems like because you mentioned that there's a what what lighthouse is able to do in uh in the Kane county jail you do in its own unit correct mm -hmm. so it would seem like this also provides the opportunity to see who's serious about rehabilitation mm -hmm. and who's not oh, yeah. yes. like who's who's right yeah great pickup Curtis. absolutely yeah I mean, we like, like who's who's really trying to change your life and get out of here and not come back yeah. Yeah. and we see that and we see people that can fake mm -hmm. a year you know they can fake a year of, of involvement in program but then we also i mean we, we, we wash one person every two weeks just about out Easily. of the pod yeah. whether or not they're not taking it seriously or they're attempting to be violent or they're attempting to bring gang involvement into the unit or there's like the support services yeah correct yeah the, and there's, there's certain things that we just don't tolerate in there right. and everybody there because we've created this structure where they have so much to lose mm -hmm. the detainees won't tolerate it either and it's not like it's it's not some you know inside justice type of thing you right. know where they're they're doing something about it they let us know and they let us know how things are going and we can also tell that we're on that unit six days a week so whether or not it's me or the, the therapist or anybody else that's working with us or the trained mental health staff that we have working in there as well um, we are always in front of it and it's important to remember you know back to the question you just asked about letting people out they're going to get out mm -hmm. they're right. going to get let out they're not going away for life they're going to go home at some point in time and so short amount of time what we have to do now it's our responsibility to wrap these services right now while we have them and while we've got them you know i guess literally and figuratively captured in this in this moment we have to do this because they'll go home without the services otherwise so anybody that says that the sheriff or the state's attorney are being soft on this or letting people out there's they're just seeing three inches in front of their face they're not looking down the road even a year where most people like the sheriff said most people are leaving the department of corrections within five years regardless of their crime Right. And let's talk about people, though, who aren't even in the jail. Most domestic abusers, especially the first-time offenders, come <clears> to <throat> bond court, and they're released on their signature. Mm -hmm. And they may be told to stay away from the victim, but they go to the victim anyway. Mm -hmm. When our new pretrial fairness comes in place, domestic violence are one of the individuals that we can hold for this. But the likelihood of that first-time offender being held is, is not there. Right. And so we have to figure out a way to utilize our court system to make it better. In 2009, the King County State's Attorney's Office created our Domestic Violence Diversion Program. And let me tell you, that was not a popular concept <laughs> for either the Crisis Center or Mutual Ground. And I understood why, because it seemed like we weren't holding people accountable. Now, this many years later, our recidivism rate is so low. We broke the cycle of violence because what we did is we saw them as who they were. We gave them the chance to come in and say, yes, I did this. Mm -hmm. Then they went to treatment. The people who go to treatment who come through our diversion program are more likely to engage quickly because they've already admitted it happened and they admitted they want help. The carrot at the end of this is they don't have a conviction on their record. Now we will not let them expunge their record for five years. So we monitor them for a five year time period, which means when we say there's a low recidivism rate, it is minuscule because we check it and we watch it because we know it's a repeated behavior. 
again, this is the right way to go. This is the way to utilize a criminal justice system that protects victims, but holds people accountable. And not to hijack this from you, Curtis, but can you just emphasize one more time what year that was started and what you've experienced in that amount of time? Because mm -hmm. it sounds like a good depth of time to really, again, gather that data that's so yes. important to us. So it's uh, 2010 is when it launched. We did a lot of research. We had a lot of people at the table. We even had a working group that included public defenders, private defense attorneys, judges, state's attorneys, law enforcement. I remember that. To monitor all of this. Yes. And so we would come in, in our first year, we thought maybe we'd have 30 people. We had about 90 who applied for this. Okay. So since 2010, when this came to place in 2022, now I could probably say that's 12 years, but I would check my math on it anyway. It is 12. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> we had uh, Aurora University actually came in and did the study. This wasn't done by us. This was done by Aurora University. And I will share so that important. study with whomever wants it. But during that time, we didn't see people come back. Yeah. That's what I want. I don't yeah. want to see people come back, and I don't want to see my victims having to go through this day in and day out because they deserve better. Thank you for that. But as Maribel said it, we have to teach them because they weren't taught the love that we may have been. They weren't raised in a safe environment that maybe we were lucky to be raised in. So let's teach it to them now. Right. Good point. Uh, time is 6.30 p.m. So um, now I also worked in a an exercise in these questions too, which I think we'll go to now. Are you guys familiar with SWOT? Yes. S-W-O-T, strengths, oh, yes. weaknesses, okay. opportunities, threats. and threats. All right. Remember, I'm a 28-year cop, so when you say SWAT, yeah. I think there's something. I know. Your ears, your ears I didn't know what you were going to do. Yeah. Yeah. Do like okay. stuff outside yeah. I am more than willing to bring the SWAT team. Yeah. <laughs> we can roll them up. Um, Don't tell my husband. So, and we'll start with all of you guys to to go with each one. Um, mm -hmm. What's our what's our strengths? What's our strengths in, in everything that we're doing we heard about them but what's some key points and some bullet points for it certainly so i'll kind of kick that off and you guys can fill in the blanks if you don't mind mm -hmm. uh nate and i did a presentation two nights ago in aurora on our uh, criminal justice reform and it was brought up well you know you have law enforcement officers and again domestic violence calls is top two when it comes to uh, violence against police officers mm -hmm. it's traffic stops and domestic violence is where law enforcement officers uh, face the most danger and so a gentleman in the crowd was talking about well this happened in Massachusetts and this happened in Texas and this happened and I, I can't remember the other venue recently but where there's violence against mm -hmm. law enforcement and I said to him okay point to an incident over the last four years post Pratt which happened two months into my term as sheriff where we have faced extreme violence against law enforcement and of course he was unable to do that and to me, ground zero is our jail. It's the fusion center where we have that chance to reform people and reenter them and also build that bridge with the community where law enforcement has had this fractured relationship with minority communities. Heck, let's go beyond that. With almost everybody, if you watch social media, you know, we're always pegged as the ghost face bad guys. But right here in Kane County, we've kind of set a precedence and a model that shows not only do we have the best, most accountable, best policy, best equipped police officers, but we also have a correctional system that does not allow people to reenter without support, and it does build gaps and bridges with those people that are the most marginalized. So uh, to me, this is the model, this is why we have not seen what many other counties, even in Illinois, face, let alone the nation. Right. Good point. Strengths for me, and I've been doing this for 20 years in a variety of fashions, 
I have the most amazing people in the highest levels of government here that believe in people like us to do the work that we do in the community. And this is something that we said at the presentation the other night too, is that the sheriff trusts me, trusts my team, believes in what we do, and allows us to do that. I was a probation officer before this. I've worked for the Department of Corrections. I've done drug counseling the entire time underneath. And this system is mired in red tape and fear and liability. And people won't move out of their comfort zone because they're afraid of what's going to happen almost all the time. And what you'll do is you'll just get a blanket no. And Can I try this thing? It's, it's been horribly the opposite. It's been yes. it's, it's terribly unsuccessful and it harms people. And so we have people, the, the strength right now is we have people at the head of this table that believe in what I would consider just to be the right way to do things, but also the proven right way to do things. On the outside looking in, it looks like the most effective way to do things. Mm -hmm. That's just my uh, little two cents. Humbly, yes. Strengths from both of you? So my, I think the strengths is because I've grown up in this system. I, you know, worked in New Orleans for a little while as a prosecutor and I worked here. Then I left and I was in family law. I was a criminal defense attorney for a little bit. I did legal aid. So I have a different vantage point from everything. I can see how a victim of domestic violence who then has to go into family court or maybe is being evicted but I also have seen when a person who's been accused of domestic violence is also going through that same thing and how confusing the entirety of the system is mm -hmm. and how it creates more stress, which leads to more violence. I have a unique perspective because I've done all of these areas of law and I can see how we can do better with our criminal justice system and that we have that opportunity. I'm always willing to try something. If I fail, I just learn how to do it better next time. Okay. I like that. Maribel? Wow. I don't know what to say now. Steal this stuff. Own the strengths of the uh, Community Crisis Center. I mean, you I guys do such a great job in supporting so many victims. What we've been doing lately is updating our curriculum. Okay. And <clears throat> adapting our assessments. So when a, a client comes in and is not ready to be in there, then we're going to tell them, okay, this is going to be presented to the courts now. Now you have to go over there and talk to them why you are not accepted into the program. And even if they are accepted of the program, we're continuing to assess, 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 assess. So if we're seeing if this person really is a high, is a high risk, even though they might have completed, we're going to let probation, court services know right away. Uh, these are the concerns we have, even though the person participated, attended, learned, everything however we see some concerns right here mm -hmm. and this is what we're doing and I'm kind of following a model some from New York um, I took away if you notice in my status letters successful they successfully completed hmm. it's what he said is we're putting a false narrative to the victims false narrative that this person who completed the program is good, is well, ready to be. This is an ongoing thing that they will continue to work on. Um, so I took that away and say they completed the requirements that the court is asking, what we see, but also now the providers have to be held accountable of what mm -hmm. we're putting out there. I love that. So we are, can, we are starting to do that now. I like that. Yeah. Um, this is a word I don't think applies at all to the folks in this room, but what are our weaknesses? What do we need to work on with, with all that we're doing? Politics, okay. Yeah, because yeah. right now we're so divided. If you do one thing, then you're accused of this. If you do another thing, then you're accused of that. Whereas the majority of the times we're just doing what's right. 
And it doesn't matter why, and it doesn't matter how, it is being sensationalized everywhere. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think the problem is politics <clears throat> have gotten in the way of people being able to try to do something different because we believe, and it's evidence-based, that it is going to work. As the sheriff said, people talk to him all the time about being soft on crime, and yet his statistics show that he's actually stopping criminal behavior from happening. Mm -hmm. That doesn't seem very smart, or very soft. That seems smart. Right. And so, but the problem is, they're going to label him a certain way, they'll label me a certain way. If we try something, there's no logic any longer. Right. Another weakness would be uh, us asking people to be more dynamic in their thinking. Um, Obviously, we saw this huge increase in incarceration rates in the mid-1980s, and at the same time, we saw a huge decrease in human services provided by states across the nation. So none of that proved to solve crime, none of that proved to solve the addiction, none of that proved to solve the war on drugs. And I'm sorry, I'm a, I'm a longtime drug cop throughout my career. That was what I hung my hat on. Um, but now I have to come in from a different perspective, uh, again, a different uh, thinking dynamic, to try and create programs that treat the addicted, treat violence, treat trauma, so we can truly, finally reduce crime and, and reduce recidivism. And again, like uh, State's Attorney Mosser said, we've got four years of data that show that this stuff works. Um, so what we're asking of our public at this point is, hey, just Take a look at this approach. And, and so many other counties and prison systems are finally starting to take note of it. But it's a very slow roll and a very slow play because it's different. It's mm -hmm. change. But it's change that works. Yeah, it's and it's the it's the difference of it that I think is its strength. But I also think that that difference is what the naysayers or the people who are on the fence I think that's what blinds them to not be able to see mm -hmm. for example um, I think it may have been a few weeks ago now there was a, a gentleman who I think was in Kane County he had eluded police and tried to use his vehicle to hit an officer yep. mm -hmm. now we read about these programs here mm -hmm. and we read about I mean all the things we talk about trauma all different things now he qualified for none of that so as a person, as a person lives in the county, I can see that there's law enforcement taking place in addition to addressing the needs of the community and making law enforcement more efficient. Mm -hmm. So I, again, I think that what you guys are doing is great and I'm proud to do this because like I wanna help people like think critically and see the bigger picture mm -hmm. you know it, 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 it's yeah. like what is the look at the big picture here right. mm -hmm. I mean what is more detrimental to the health of the county is it is it the people who are doing the, the is you need treatment for folks because if they don't get that treatment they are going to continue the cycle that's already been going on mm -hmm. and we can't keep doing the same thing expecting the the same results. Um, so those were our weaknesses. What's our opportunities? We are ripe for criminal justice reform. That's okay. what people want. <laughs> I mean, that is the thing that we talk about because we want to change it. I mean, this this narrative has really taken effect. So let's ride this, but let's do it with public safety. I mean, that that is what we have to do. We want criminal justice reform, but we have to do it mindful of everyone in our community. 
the tide has changed. It's not the war on drugs anymore. It's not arrest them, lock them up, throw away the key. Instead, is it how can we help make our community safer? I would say we still have the war on drugs on the on the high level drug organizations, well, yes. and we fully mm -hmm. uh, support going after them. Uh, one of our opportunities is I want to point out right here, and so being an elected official, whether it's the social media, whether it's the regular media, whether it's knocking on doors as part of my reelection campaign, it's astounding to me that. Um, still, there's probably 20, 25% of folks when they answer their door have no idea who I am or what we've done. Um, and, right. and, and that's so, a check to the ego. For <laughs> which is, which is <laughs> but also, I get a lot of feedback like, well, Sheriff, you, you give us a jail tour and you talk about everything that's come out of this. Why don't we know about this more? Um, we try to put everything out that we do on every single uh, media stream we possibly can. But this is our opportunity right here. Mm -hmm. Will we get everybody to watch? 40 minutes into this conversation? Probably not, because people statistically show that they'll watch something for maybe a minute or two at best. Uh, but we need the public, and this is again an opportunity, not a, not a slam. We, we need the public to embrace and listen to what we're saying here and listen to the data and see what we're doing differently here in Kane County as opposed to the rest of the nation. I like that, I like that. Well, we, uh, we support you guys a lot. You guys are always in our news if you're doing something great you know Thank which you. always are so we'd like Thank to share the word um opportunities or excuse me uh, yeah opportunities not to sound like a motivational poster but <laughs> when we talk about weakness that's our opportunity that's my opportunity because yeah. even at this table right now hearing something like the way you write your status reports that's our it's just such an embedded mentality of how things should be done just because it's been done forever mm -hmm. and that's a huge weakness in this system but it's an opportunity if you get people around the table even if it's at this table where I'm gonna take that out of all my reports that's, that's such an amazing idea mm -hmm. and so the opportunity exists when you examine your weakness with objectivity and you examine your weakness not as a fault of yours but mm -hmm. as something like that's a, that's a brilliant idea and that's what people like this allow us to do because I'm not afraid of failure in this. Mm -hmm. I'm only afraid of not trying certain things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so that the opportunity is, I feel like I can do that because of the security that I feel here to say like, that's great, let's do that. Mm -hmm. Rather than like, oh shit, I don't do that. Right. Uh, you we're know. On it. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm on Facebook. <laughs> it's a family show. <laughs> sorry about that. Shoot. <laughs> Shoot. I don't do that. Where's the bleep? <laughs> yeah, right. But we gotta get that button. Yeah. I will need that button. But anyway, so I'm, my opportunity is just sitting across from people that that have amazing ideas and that I can steal. Absolutely. And I think Borrow. it's... Borrow. No, I'm taking it. Steal it. Thank you. <laughs> okay, it's you. Um, I think it's learning and also collaboration with mm -hmm. everybody in going outside of your area to just to see what other places are doing. Mm -hmm. So me would be listening to other providers, not just in the state of Illinois, but other places like New Mexico, how their model is and how, how they're working with their population, that they're working with, with this type of uh, offenders and everything. Europe too, listening how they do it, Canada, and just being open to that, that's the most important, the collaboration is right there. Yeah, yeah. Um, the sheriff talked about, uh, he brought up a good point, I kind of want to piggyback off of too, like, uh, you know, we, we've, we've, with the benefit of hindsight, we can see all the flaws that the justice system may have made in the war on drugs. However, however, the war on fentanyl, mm. other things, 
and cartels. That goes on. So we've we've not, again, to the point I asked about, are we taking our eye off the ball? We're not taking our eye off the ball at all. We're walking and chewing bubble gum at the yep. same time with Absolutely. this. So patting our heads and rubbing our stomachs too. I read something the other day that the person who created D.A.R.E. was quoted as saying that the casual substance user should be taken out and shot. The person who created D.A.R.E. That's a, a person who's using substances, as Nate will tell you, is using them for a reason. Right. Mm -hmm. Self-medicating. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, when our mentality is not this is a health issue for those individuals, we're failing. But the people who choose to make our community a danger by trafficking drugs by delivering drugs that have fentanyl in them, those are the people we still go after. Mm -hmm. yeah. The same concept is there for domestic violence. Mm -hmm. There are these people who are just starting out in our criminal justice system, mm -hmm. but there are people who have been out here for a long time and they target people right. mm -hmm. and they make people unsafe or they use yeah. weapons or they attempt yeah. to kill or they strangle somebody. Mm -hmm. Those are people that we send to prison because those are people who have chosen a life that is dangerous. The last part of our SWOT analysis is the T, the threats, the things that could make what we're doing untenable, kind of be bad for our actions and activities. Are there any things like that that could potentially uh, uh, stop what we're doing? Well, yeah, politics. Yeah, we, we, yeah. So the, the thing is the fail. There is going to be somebody who's going to be a part of our programming who we're going to give a chance to and they're going to fail. Relapse is a thing. It does happen. Continued violence is a thing. Yeah. Like yes. this is, we'll I keep bringing it. it back to domestic violence. Well, we say um, <laughs> relapse. Put it, yeah. put it under yeah. everything. Relapse everything. is just a, a continuation of a, of a behavior that yep. that mm -hmm. existed before we tried. So, it doesn't have to be drugs. Right. Mm -hmm. So the thing is, we tend to focus on the failures because that's what we do. Because what an easy <clears throat> marching statement to make. Well, <clears throat> this person screwed it up. So why are we going to give this to anybody else? That's the threat to the programming that we do because we forget to look at the positives, the people who succeeded. When we set out to do this, we actually really wanted to get a couple on the air who had experienced domestic violence because we wanted to have them talk about it. it we couldn't because the problem is people don't want to talk about this. And it's not that there are success stories out there, but you don't want to live that trauma all over again. <clears throat> But this is something that we need to get out there is that there are people every day where the cycle is broken. Every time we have one success, we make it easier for everybody else. We can't just focus on the failures, but from the failures, we'll learn to do better. I like that, I like that. And threats with politics, bring it back to that real quick because mm -hmm. if, because of the way that the political parties are set up, especially in this county, if somebody mm -hmm. without the similar mindset gets elected, everything progressive, goes away it gets right. gutted programming gets gutted um, opportunities get gutted mm -hmm. and it goes back and it's just about mindset it's antiquated mindset that mm -hmm. political parties have embraced in both parties too this isn't just you know for for one versus the other but it's it's a mindset that unless we get away from that entrenchment and actually look at what works based on data and based on you know the successes of the programs at large um, we're gonna be in real trouble just with the swings of general elections coming up and just the, the political wins. I mean, that can that can destroy forward motion in community-based programs based on funding and all kinds of other things. Right. Um, the last question that I have, and then we will get to, we'll start to wind this down, um, is uh, if, if you guys can, what is the, what does the escalation look like? You know, uh, mm -hmm. say, Turner, you talked about that, that person who they may have, committed an offense, now they've, they've come to court, you know, that, that first-timer. Right. 
<clears throat> battery, what have you. Now he's come to court. I mean, what is, how does that escalation go? You know, how, how do they wind up in custody, you know? I mean, a lot of it is the lack of intervention because you're arrested. Now that's out there. You may have lost a job as a result of it because now your name is everywhere. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe you were spent overnight in jail and you were supposed to go to your job the next day. Then there's financial issues that happen. These stresses are all in this cycle of violence. And as the stresses get more, that's where the violence happens. It's not always physical. Sometimes nope. it's verbal. And there's all of this that keeps happening. The power and control, which is identified with domestic abusers, is where this person is taking control of the situation. I'm in charge. This is how it is. You're not doing this right. When you don't have the proper intervention to say, this is what's going on, this is how we need to de-escalate it, that's what happens. I see it because they're a violation of bail bonds. There's a violation of an order of protection. The victim is calling my office and recanting, and I can hear abuser in the abuser in the background. We see all of these signs. We'll have victims come in, and there'll be fresh bruises on them. So we know this is escalating. It happens without proper intervention. I want to create a system where that intervention happens relatively shortly after arrest because that's when it's the most powerful time to get that to the abuser to help them down a different path. Okay. The one thing I'll say about that is also the providers. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there's not enough staff, you know, there's a wait list. Community crisis has a wait list. Other places, if you go down south in Illinois, there's wait lists. Sometimes there's only one provider for that specific county. So we have to be mindful of that too, you know. Um, So it's very difficult, you know, just to get those services. And staff-wise, it's just hard. Some clinicians don't want to work with with abusers. They don't like that work. Right. So I enjoy working with that population. You have to enjoy being there to... For the victim, the children, the spouse, anybody, any of the family member, also meet the the person that's sitting right in front of you and work with them. And not just see them abuser. This is a human being. We're gonna work with you if you want to. If you don't want to, okay, then we're gonna, there's gonna be stuff. Complication here, but we're gonna work with you as much as we can. Right. You know, but it's the funding, it's the staffing, and when COVID hit, staffing, went downhill right. just let you know their strains and everything mm-hmm. so it's just difficult it's very difficult that could be a weakness but also right and with escalation we also have to remember to your point we process about 5,000 5,500 people in and through the Kane County Jail mm-hmm. every year um, so that's a massive amount of people that fall through the cracks that are yes. only with us for a very short amount of time and I only have uh, four to five people that do reentry services uh, to cover that wide breadth of folks that come through. So can we get our hooks into them? Can we refer them to Lighthouse? Can we kick them out to outside service providers that we're partners with? Hopefully we can, but unfortunately it's, it's such a massive volume that I would love to see the return of true uh, human services in every single state like we had in the 1980s uh, that can provide uh, finally some sort of resource to our to our offenders and our victims on a, on a wide scale, on a right. coordinated wide scale. Mm-hmm. Um, so the last question is, how will this benefit um, financially, socially, how will this benefit the residents of Kane County? 
Why should I, as a Kane County resident, support this? We already know I do, but you know. <laughs> Can you quantify that a little bit? Because, like, what, what do you support? Like, um, the jail services, or what Lighthouse does, or what Community Crisis Center does? Like, um, all of it. You know, I, I mean, because I, I just look at you guys as Kane County mm -hmm. government services. Yeah. It's all you know. It's only when I have to type in the titles of the departments that I separate you guys. Right. So, so I mean, you know, what, I guess what, um, you know, what is the financial societal benefit mm -hmm. for the county? How does this make the county healthier? So I'm gonna come at that from a, a very conservative viewpoint. Okay. okay what, what I get some arguments from those that are less progressive. And I say, look, over the last four years, compared to years before, decades before, we've saved you over $5 million over the last four years by diverting people from custody and giving them support services. And all of our jail programs that have taken recidivism from 49% down to 18%, that have cut our jail population in half, have actually brought down countywide crime as well by 16%. So not only are we saving massive amounts of money, but we're also cutting down on crime. And we're cutting down on opioid overdose deaths by 89%. I've, I've taught of this before on this show. But uh, this, again, holistic system mm -hmm. of community partners and uh, a state's attorney who's forward thinking and a sheriff who tries to do works. We, right. we, we've set a solid model here. And we have spent zero taxpayer dollars on any of our jail programming. Mm -hmm. It costs thousands of dollars to prosecute just one person. Because I want you to think about it. A person is arrested, they're brought over, they're sitting in the jail. So we're using resources there because people are paid to be in the jail. They bring them out to the court. There's a judge there who we're paying, a prosecutor, a public defender, sometimes a court reporter, depending on the county. You also have a circuit clerk and you may have bailiffs. We're paying for those people to be there. A misdemeanor case lasts anywhere between six months to one year. Mm -hmm. Felony cases even longer. They come back to court at least once a month, and every single time that you come back to court, you have the same thing, a judge, a prosecutor, a defense attorney, all the people here. If you were to really look at the end result of all of this, it's thousands of dollars just to prosecute a person. And instead of spending all of that time just getting them down the road to a conviction where maybe they'll be able to get a job or maybe the violence will continue, instead we're starting early on to say, okay, what can we do to intervene? How can we get them to treatment quicker? Here's an incentive, which is our diversion program. You are a first time offender. The victim is on board with this because we always ask the victims. Mm -hmm. We get them to treatment sooner. They never come back. That's saving money. It reminds can I, can I me a specific example real quick? Yes, just, absolutely. Go ahead, just real fast, just because this is near and dear to our heart and I want to make sure we're putting this guy's name out in the, out in the world right now. Um, but we had a gentleman that was in our jail programming that was doing so well in our jail program. He's one of the first ones in the program that a judge allowed him to be released. Um, this was a few years ago. And this man came out to the community. He was working. He was in our programming. He was not committing new offenses. He was not costing the taxpayers any money to be housed or any programs provided for him in the community. Another judge came into that judge's place immediately revoked the man's bond because they didn't feel like what we were doing was in line with their vision, mm -hmm. incarcerated him for two years to the tune of how much does it cost for per person per year? $23,000 a year. $23,000 per year to house an inmate in the Illinois Department of Corrections. While this man was in the Department of Corrections, his arthritis became so bad that he became wheelchair bound. He was released from DOC essentially into our custody 64 days ago. 
and we couldn't get him to work anymore because he was wheelchair bound. He had no housing because he was wheelchair bound and the shelters wouldn't take him. So the sheriff's department and Lighthouse and other community providers paid for a hotel for this man. He couldn't work. He was now on our dime getting services. And because of all the things that occurred to that individual while he was in this chair, he developed blood clots and he died last Friday. I read that article. This man was very near and dear to our hearts and we cared for him for four years. And that's the prime example of how does this save people money if you want to put it in a quantifiable dollar way. He was a contributing part of society again. He came out and worked and was doing everything that he needed to do. Not a single dime of taxpayer money was being spent on that man until someone who did not share that same mindset came in and locked him up and he was crippled and he was killed as a result of that. So not only financially, but what is the value of that man's life? One man, that is one story, as the sheriff pointed out on the news the other night, that's one man's story, but that is a countless, countless amount of people that come out of IDOC when that old mentality, whether or not it's through DV, substance use, or any other crime, just locks people up, at times indiscriminately, because of a system that demands a head. It demands somebody getting punished for something. I read and we that. want that to be different. I read that article. He passed away from a pulmonary embolism, if I... Remember the article That's correctly. Correct. That was a very sad story. I think I um, want to say is yeah. the silence, the community not being silent anymore. If they see something, say something. Say something. Say like instead of waiting for somebody to be charged, come to our services that we have. We do get a few voluntarily uh, clients that come, but why do you have to wait till something occurs? Right. You know, right. the services are right there, but sometimes they wait till it's very. That's a great point. Yeah, so the silence, families, friends, anywhere saying like, hey, we're, we're seeing something here. Seek help, but also seek help. Like, there's, here are these services. You don't have to tell everybody, but the silence, the silence kills right. everything. So, then. I love that. Uh, the time is 6.58 p.m. Uh, this was a great discussion, a really good discussion. And uh, I personally learned a lot from this, and I hope that our viewers and our listeners will take something away from this as well. Uh, we want to say thank you once again to Maribel Duran-Mendez, Coordinator of Abuse Intervention Programs, uh, Community Crisis Center. Uh, Mr. Lanthrum, Clinical Director of Lighthouse Recovery, Sheriff Ron Hain, Sheriff of Kane County, and State's Attorney Jamie Mosser. Uh, this has been a fantastic discussion. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Your great comments It's making a difference in the community. We concur. And um, there was a very, another very nice one um, that I wanted to leave the group with because you guys all deserve it. And it was, let me get my scroll on here. Just talking about my voice, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't about your voice. Ah, it's a radio uh, gig somewhere. Thank you very much. So thankful for uh, both of the elected officials for their trauma-informed solutions. Huh, Thank you very much. Thank you. The show, uh, our show ends on a positive note. What is the message today for the uh, folks in Kane County? Now, Curtis, can we have Sheriff Hango because he is going to be a celebrity bartender where? Uh, Country House in Geneva and uh, oh, that's right. And, and he has to go. That's right. Sheriff Haynes out, y'all. The positive message: uh, we crushed it over the last four years. We created a brand new environment, and you know these. People right here at the table are the ones that, as a team and a partnership, all made it happen. So, um, Kane County is an icon, and we've got a lot more work to do, but uh, we're getting it done. All right. Okay. Thank you. And now I'd like to be the only elected official on this show. <laughs> <laughs>
head of the table. That's it. Thank you. Good night. Take it easy, bro. Run. I mean, Nate, sorry, whoever, whatever your name is. Wow. <laughs> it's been a long day. No, it has. Yeah, I understand yeah. that. Positive message to end this on. Um, what we're doing is um, working. And not only is it working in the jail, but it's working with bringing these amazing community partners to the table um, from, like, multiple areas of expertise. Um, so it's kind of it's kind of interesting to have a substance abuse provider at a table when we're talking about domestic violence, unless you consider what we said earlier, which is under a lot of those things, you know, is, is the same root cause that causes people to come into my office. And so it's all dealing with the same thing. But in a positive sense, um, we're helping people and we're changing and we're able to um, meet the most amazing individuals on all sides of the table, whether or not it's the perpetrators, the victims, the people we're working with. And I really, really believe in this work and I believe in the people doing it. All right. I love it, man. Thick. Learning, adapting, collaborating, and being positive because there's so much darkness there has to be some positive that you see so the positive just seeing the little small steps that a person does to get where they're at that's a positive one step that's awesome great all right ladies and gentlemen have a great Curtis oh my bad it's because she's traditionally not as positive I, mean, I understand. You didn't. You wanted to cut her before she said something terrible. Okay, I will do this super quick. No, you got. It. Um, I have learned so much from everybody I have come before or been a part of their lives. Um, when I was in DV court, I had a, a victim of a case, and it was over and over again. And her husband was an abuser, and I saw the effect that it had on her, and I saw the effect that it had on her children. But I also saw this woman fight. And when I came out of um, being a prosecutor, she actually hired me to be her divorce attorney because mm-hmm. she was done, and she was mm-hmm. done with him. And I got to be a part of that. And I still get to see her from time to time, and she is a fighter. And I am so proud of what everything that she's done. And now this is a situation where the system, we saw him as a continuous abuser, and it didn't matter what we tried in the beginning, he just kept doing it. We held him accountable mm-hmm. while still helping her and protecting her, so much so that I think she felt comfortable enough to come back mm-hmm. to me, even though I was the prosecutor in the case. I've learned this from victims who have come in and screamed at me, but they're mm-hmm. doing it as a protective mechanism. Right. Mm-hmm. I've seen defendants who have actually contacted me after I prosecuted them to thank you, thank me for what I've done for them. This is an amazing system where we can do good, but we have to do it individualized. We have to look at each situation and make sure we're doing it right for that situation. We have to stop saying, well, this person is charged with a domestic offense, so they must be the worst human being. Sure, they might be, but they might also be a former victim. Mm-hmm. Let's do it better. Let's look at each person and do what's right. And that's what I promised from the day I got elected, and I will continue to do as your state's attorney. Right. The time is now 7.03 p.m. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for watching and participating in this great discussion. We have more of these uh, great topics and debates planned. Um, So please stay tuned. Take care of yourself and each other. Thank you. You too. Thank you. Thank you.